And we've been sitting in this remarkable passage toward the end of the Bible of Revelation chapter 21 and 22, which presents a picture of the ultimate human community, of what heavenly community is meant to be like. When God made human beings, He made us ultimately to be citizens of this type of a community, which different scholars have called the city of God. And one day, if you're looking, we're intended, as we live now, to become people who populate that city and to become the type of people that live this way. And so I thought, some of you are thinking, well, you know, tell me what to do. And what, this is, I don't think this is the best way to teach you purpose. If you, to show you and have a picture of what this is, what we were meant, meant for and what, we, what our destiny is for those of us who trust in Jesus. Now, today I'm going to talk about specifically an issue which I think is very important and maybe to some of you very obvious what I'm going to teach. I hope it's obvious what I'm going to teach, and yet it's very problematic today, and that is we were made to be contributors. You were made to contribute and give of yourselves to the, to the greater whole and blessing of others. So we have a real problem in our society today called a community. Um, do you notice that all over around people say, we want community, I want community, and community, community, community. Community is this big word today. The reason we talk about it so much is because we don't have it. <laughs> if you go to societies where the community is strong and people are constantly contributing into the upbuilding of their life together as a people together, they don't talk about community all the time because they have it. The reason we talk about community all the time is because we're all a bunch of selfish takers that's why our community stinks. That's really what it's about. That's, but we were made really to be all contributors into a life together, into a form of communal life called the city of God. We were made to contribute and to be a blessing to others. This is what you're born for. You and I were made and born to contribute of something special to ourselves to be a blessing unto others. That's really the fundamental thesis we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to get this in three parts, as I usually do. Part one, takers and the curse on the world. Takers and the curse. Part two, I'm going to talk about the problem of unholy motivation. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about we were made to be holy. Fundamentally, that comes down to the motivation of our hearts and why we do things. What, what motivates us to do what we do. So we can be contributors, but if you're a contributor, but you do so with unholy motivations, it isn't the way God intended us to be, right? So part two, the problem of unholy motivation. Part three, redeemed, because all this needs to be redeemed and changed. Redeemed by a giving God. God is a contributing and giving God. Right? So let me go to part one. Um, to start here, I'd like to read you a verse, which maybe you haven't heard or is not so famous, but this kind of verse is common throughout the Bible. So just listen. There's, this is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And in the book of Ephesians, when Paul gets this portion, he's telling what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what Christian life looks like, and this is one of the things he says. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's, all he, that's what he says. 
So there are people who steal and take things from others, but now that he's a Christian, now that you're a Christian, what you ought to be is stop stealing and instead contribute. You should actually do something with your own hands and you should labor and you should contribute to the blessing of others. Not stealing and taking away the good of others, but contribute to the blessing of others. The Bible is very explicit about even just in honors, you know, hard work. Not every religion does, by the way. Not every worldview honors just very humble but very good hard work which, which where you use your hands and you contribute. Um, there are many societies around the world, and by the way, our society is increasingly becoming this society. As our society becomes more godless and, quite frankly, arrogant, we do, we do not appreciate the people who do things like clean our bathrooms and make our hamburgers because, hey, the hamburger was cheap. So you, you obviously must not be a very well-educated person if this is your job. But actually, the Bible honors this. The Bible actually commands some people to do this kind of work. If you were a taker and a stealer, why don't you go use your hands and contribute into the community? Let me give you another verse. This one's a little more famous. This is from the lips of Jesus, Matthew chapter 25. And he's telling a picture of what the world is going to be like when it ultimately comes to consummation. And he says there'll be a king. And this is what he says. A king is going to separate the world between those people who are the sheep, which you'll put on the right-hand side, and the right side is those who are honored. And then the goats, who will be rejected by the king, who go on the left. And this is what he says to those who go to the right. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you, for you from the foundation of the world. And listen, this is the way he describes them. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. There was some kind of lack of blessing, and you filled it. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. See? I, was, um, I didn't belong. I was lonely. And what did you contribute? It wasn't just stuff. You contributed something called welcome. You gave me a welcome. I was naked and you clothed me. You know what he's saying? It isn't just that I lack clothes, it's that I lack dignity. I lacked honor. You provided clothes. You contributed clothes to me, but you also gave me dignity. You gave me honor. And you received me. I was sick and you visited me. I was hurting. I don't know if many of you know this. Um, I have had serious illness in my life, and I've spent extended time in a hospital. A hospital is not only a place where people are sick and dying, they're just not dying from their body, they're dying in their spirit. Hospitals are very lonely places. And it says, you, I was sick and you visited me. You visited me. That's the contribution you gave. I was in prison and you came to me. People in prison... Some who deserve to be in prison and some who don't. But regardless, it says, whether I was deserved to be there or not, you came and you visited me. People were thrown away from society and were game and gave mercy and kindness. You came and visited me. And then this is what Jesus says. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick 
or in prison and visit you? And the king, and this is of course Jesus talking about himself, will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, in other words, someone around here who lacks blessing, who lacks wholeness, as long as you did it to them, you did it to, you did it to me. God made a kingdom for a people. He made a kingdom for a people who contributes, who contributes all kinds of goodness and blessing unto others for the upbuilding of the most, of what community is supposed to be for. And if you look at this passage, you're like, Pastor, you know, those are nice passages, but it's right here. It's right here in the Revelation passage. So some of you um, may think, okay, heaven is a really nice place, but you have no conception of what it's like. What is it going to be like when we finally get up there and God has made everything whole? So some people, and this is very common, think that, of course, you know, there's no more going to be no more poverty and there's no going to be no more death. That's great. And I'm just going to get everything. You know, we're going to get, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to get good food and I'm going to get riches. And, and it's going to be all about what we receive. And we're going to wear white and I guess we're going to have wings and we're going to, you know, play on a harp and it's all going to be pleasant. But that's not, if, if that's all the way heaven is going to be like, well, no wonder we think it's boring, because that's boring. (laughs) That's not very heavenly. This passage gives you the picture of ultimate human community, and it says in chapter 21, verse 26, that all the nations are going to come into the city, and they will bring into (coughs) the city the glory and the honor of the nations. You know what they're doing? They're all contributing. Every culture and every people are going to bring something special that they have and they're going to contribute it into the city. In other words, there's work. There's work. There's tremendous activity. It's a bustling, busy place. It's not just some boring place where we're going to be playing a harp and flying around with wings. It's a bustling, busy place. And do you notice that the nations don't just bring their glory, that they bring something distinct to themselves. Each people and each individual have something special and distinct which brings a blessing to honor and all and which brings wholeness to others. So just to give you kind of a, an obvious example, um, you know that if a couple hundred years ago that if white Americans didn't go to America and do this terrible thing, this terrible sinful thing of kidnapping black people in Africa and making them slaves here in America... Do you know that if that didn't happen, that we wouldn't have rock and roll music? You don't know? Did you know that? We wouldn't have rock. We wouldn't have jazz. We wouldn't have blues. We wouldn't have soul. All of that comes from black Americans. It really does. Some people go, oh, rock and roll came from Elvis Presley. No, it didn't. (laughs) Elvis Presley was a white guy who grew up going to black church, learning black people's blues and soul, and then he transferred that, and then he became famous, and then he became the king, the so-called king of rock and roll, but the proper king of rock and roll was someone who was black, actually. And this is so amazing. We enjoy this music every day. I mean, you just hear it every place, but this popular music, now it's going around to the world, and in Asia, um, the, the most popular form of rock and roll is called K-pop, right? Because it's Korean the Koreans have picked this music up, and, and it's now dominating and blessing millions, literally maybe billions of people in Asia. And um, 
So, but it all came because black slaves <laughs> came up with this music, and this was their contribution to the global human community. You understand? But imagine if a whole people, and every, every nation and every people were to contribute this into the city of God, except without all the pride and the greed and the evil that put, put the African Americans in, up to slavery in America in the first place. But despite the fact of the evil, God used that glory to make a contribution. We're here to contribute. This is going to happen, and it's going to happen forever. <laughs> um, do some of you lack sleep because you have too many things to do? There's too many TV shows to watch. There's more, too, too many albums to listen to and books to read and the way, places you want to go to. I mean, there's really not enough time in the day to enjoy all of the glories of the world and, then, and not even just imbibe all the glories of the world, but to contribute to them too. But when there's heavenly community, it's going to be forever. <laughs> there will be no lack of time to do the contributing and to receive of the honor and dignity and glory of the nations. This is what it's going to be like. You get to chapter 22. There's this, I haven't so far I've been preaching through this text for multiple weeks, and I haven't even touched chapter 22 yet. And in chapter 22, there's this very odd picture. It says there's going to be a river which runs through the middle of the city, a river of life. And then there's going to be something called the tree of life. And I'm not quite sure how this is, but there's a tree of life which is on both sides of a river. It must be a remarkable tree that can cross over a river. And out of this tree is going to be 12 kinds of fruits which come out every month. So you never get bored, I guess, a different fruit each month. So that's what you're thinking, right? So is that all there is? There's going to be 12 fruits, and there's only 12 fruits, one every other month. That's not what the Bible is saying. When the Bible uses the word 12, the word 12 is the number of completion in the Bible. That's what it means. When it says there's 12 fruits, it's saying every kind of fruit which comes off the leaf of the tree of life. And what, and do you notice, if there's going to be trees, there needs to be people to take care of trees. People till fruit. We till it. We sow it. We prune it. We work it. We, there needs to be people who work so that fruit can come out, and then we eat it. So when you go home today and you want to eat an apple, somebody work that. But it's saying, it's a metaphor. I don't know if there's going to be a literal tree. When he's talking about 12 fruits and, and 12, in the, throughout the book of Revelations, this word, this number 12 comes up, and it comes up this way, 144. 144 is 12 times 12, which means the completion upon completion and overflowing and overflowing, everything will be utterly complete. That's what it means. And then the, in the book of Revelation, it uses the number 144,000, <laughs> which means 12 times 12 times 1,000, which means all of the fruit, all of the blessings. So you realize that once there's going to be people like, let's say, Bach. Bach was, a, a seventh, was an 18th century German who loved Jesus. And he's going to be wandering around the city, and then he's going to meet... He's going to meet, he's going to meet uh, an African slave from the 19th century in America, and then that person is going to offer him his music unto Jesus, and Bach is going to be like, you know what that is? 
That's one piece of the fruit of the tree of life. And when every nation contributes all their glories, all the nations will be healed. And it says here, let me go on some more. You know why this is such an important this is and such an important piece of the way we think. We are mostly takers in our society. We're not contributors and givers. I know we all contribute something, right? But that's not the way we think about the purpose of our life. Mostly we think about every day of what am I going to get? We think what makes us happy is what do I get out of it? We think how, how am I, how am I going to be happy? We're very much a narcissistic, me-oriented, takers type of society. It's so strong in our society that our whole economy is built on this thing. Do you know that? Every commercial that you watch is appealing toward your self-interest. Here's what you get out of this. Buy this product, and then your hair will grow, and the woman will think you're hot. So this is the way it works. Every now and then, there's a commercial that asks you to contribute. Please give money, and then there are starving kids in Africa, and they will have a better life. You know, yeah, 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 whatever. Okay? <laughs> That's what we do. Those commercials come on, and we ignore those commercials. And the commercials we're interested in are all the ones that encourage us to be takers. So back to that, that verse. He who steals should instead learn how to contribute. How about this way? He who is a taker which is pretty much everybody in our society, including the Christians, should learn how to stop thinking about taking, 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 get, 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 and learn to contribute. That's what the scripture is saying. And this is how we are. It's a sad thing. And of course, it isn't just that, we said, it's never that we don't give anything. It's that, but actually it's most of us, most of the time we're fixated on what we're going to get and receive. And because of that, you know, if everybody around us is this way, it, it, it's really, it just sucks the life out of the city, doesn't it? It makes the city feel terrible. It makes our life, our common life, feel terrible. And the Bible has a word for this, and that is curse. You know why we're all suspicious of other people in our society? Because everybody's out for themselves. You can't even go to a restaurant... And if the, if the waitress is nice to you, if the waitress is nice to you, you think she's only nice to you because she wants to take something from you, which is your money. And let's say she, she, let's say she messes up. So I have, a, I have a buddy of mine. We go to a restaurant. We were eating together. This is in, in the East Coast. She screwed up his order, and she brought him the wrong thing. So I was about to call her back and ask her to bring the right thing. He said, stop. Don't do that. I said, why? He goes, because if you ask her to bring the right thing while she's back there in the kitchen, she'll probably spit into your food. You know what that is? That little fear and that constant expectation that people are going to spit into the contribution they're going to give us, that's curse. All the way we do community is cursed. And do you notice what it says here in, verse, in chapter 22? It says, there'll be the leaves of the tree of life Every kind of fruit. Everybody's going to work this tree. And everybody's going to contribute their fruit, even if they're their fruit, is something like music. Their fruit will be things like dignity. Their fruit will be things like, like, like kindness. And everyone will give their distinctive fruit. The, the, the Chinese will give theirs, and the Afghanis will give theirs, and I can't wait to see what that is. 
but there'll be no curse. No curse. And all of the tree, the leaves of that tree, as everybody contributes toward the tilling of that tree, the cur they'll heal every nation and there'll be no curse. This is the purpose of our life. Okay? Let me go to part two of my message. Um, none of you will give nothing. Okay? We all contribute something. I mean, for instance, if you have a job, you, you, you're, you help your company make some money, and then unless you're a complete thief, you, you pay taxes, okay? At least you pay taxes when you go buy something at the store, and then, you know, you don't, we don't like that tax, but we're contributing something. So that even there, there's a small contribution. But, but most of us, well, we contribute something even, okay, we go to get a job, and then we're contributing there, right? But even as we do it, we don't even do it for the right reasons. Do we do it to bless? Do we do it to the blessing of our neighbors and to the upbuilding of the city and the glory and the most beautiful things of God to come into our life, into our common life together? Is that why we do it? Maybe on a good day, maybe 10% of the time, we actually care about the intrinsic goodness of what we're, what we're putting forth. But most of the time, what we're interested in is what we get out of it. So, so economists have this term which they call intrinsic. There's something intrinsic to the good. So if you go to In-N-Out Burger, and then there's a certain, I mean, there's a certain glory in that burger. You eat that burger, and you go, ah, oh, that's the blessing, <laughs> right? That, and, and then, so if the guy back there making the burger cares about making that burger have that specific glory and wants you to get that special blessing, then you know what he's doing? He's intrinsically contributing blessing to you, and he's actually doing it for the sake of blessing, which he, is, which he can do. But the guy back there, that's probably not why he's doing it. He's making that burger to make a buck. And, you know, if, if you couldn't look at him, because in McDonald's you can't look at them, but at In-N-Out you can't look at them, if the burger fell to the ground, he would just go, oh, whatever, just slap it back on there because he doesn't care about your blessing. He just cares about getting his job done to make a dollar. And if the motivation is to make a dollar and not the intrinsic goodness, economists call this extrinsic motivation. It's not actually connected to the blessing itself. It's just, what do I get out of it? You see? But isn't this the way we mostly operate? We don't actually think about the blessing itself for my friend or for my neighbor, or for my city, what we really think about is, what is the good special thing there? Oh, we don't even think about that. What we really care about is, what do I get out of it, which is not even intrinsically connected, it's extrinsic reward. So maybe on a good day, on a really good day, 30% of our motivation is for something to actually contribute. But on most days, if we're really honest, if you're like me anyway, you know, like 5 or 10% of what we're doing is actually to bless my neighbor, but 80, 70, or 90% of what I really want is what do I get out of it? What's going to help? Hey, A number one, right? So really, we're like 80% taker and 20% giver and contributor, which is really to say we're a, con we're a taker, right? <laughs> right? If you're 80% taker, then you're a taker. Look, look how, how much it shows up. 
Let's take work. So, of course, most of us, some of you, you may actually wake up in the, in the morning and go, I'm going to actually do this special thing that our company does, and that's why I actually want to go to work. Is that why? I hope some of you actually have that feeling and that desire, and that's what motivates you. Um, I hope that that's what motivates you, but come on, most of us, if we're honest, um, we all want to retire early, have enough money so I don't have to show up at work, and then I could just be a taker all the time, right? I can go on vacation, I can take, and then I can go to this restaurant and take, and then, you know, I can just be a taker all the time. That's actually, we actually consider that the good life. The good life is to become a total taker all the time. Because we have all the money. That's what we actually want. See how corrupt this is? And then people wonder why they get depressed in the middle of their life. Because even if their career works out for them, they've never actually fulfilled the fundamental deep purpose for which we were made to be contributors. That's why people are sad. I've actually met people whose career work out really well. And then in the middle of their life, they start getting depressed. Why are they depressed? Because... They're completely destroying the purpose for which they were made. So, um, some of you don't necessarily work for money, but you work for, to get your name. If we don't have a specific job, a lot of men today, that if they get laid off, and then they don't have a job, they feel like they got no name. So we ask, who are you? And then we say, what well, we do. We say our job. But if you can't say, I'm an engineer for so-and-so company, or I'm an accountant, or I'm a then we're like, I don't have a name. I don't know who the heck I am. So uh, why do we go to work? The work is to make something important about me. Give, get something, get self-importance. That's what I'm pulling out of my work. But again, it's, take, it's being a taker. And by the way, um, I, some of you, you're like, oh, you're a pastor. You're like a holy man, right? <laughs> um, every pastor I know has the unholy desire to get his name <laughs> out of doing ministry. Of course we care about the Word of God. If we're halfway any good, of course we care that people meet God, know God, get saved through Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Of course. But, hey, I also kind of like to become respected and to get my name and to have self-importance. We're takers too. We make it unholy. Last week we talked about holiness. But... If it's holy, we would do it for the blessing of others. That's the real reason why we do it. But like I told you, on a good day, I'm doing that 30, that's probably 30% of my heart. <laughs> that's on a good day. <laughs> on a normal average day, 80% of my heart is fixated on, okay, how am I going to be a good pastor so that people will think I'm a good man? And I can have success for my name and my kids will look up to me and I'll feel good about myself on a good, on an average day. I have to admit to you, that's probably too much of my preoccupation. And it's even worse. Even if I tell myself, Susong, stop it. Stop it, Susong, stop it. My heart is just taker, taker, taker constantly. We need, we need a savior. All right, how about a couple others? Why do we go find a lover? Guy walks in a room, looks around the room, Eliminates 90% of the women in the room. She's hot. I want her to be my girlfriend. 
so that people will think I'm somebody because since she's good looking, people will look up to me and think I'm somebody. So the reason you want to date her is not so that you can go like, oh, you're a person that I want to contribute my life into your life for the blessing of your life. Actually, what we're doing is even the way we love others is to be a taker. What do I get out of you? And we even get married that way. It's really strange. Let let me offer... um, um, as soon as the marriage, you stop feeling like you're getting what you're supposed to get from the other person, you thought you were in a deal. I'm going to get this from you. But for whatever reason, the person got sick or the person just got too cr- grumpy or the person stopped receiving from you. So then you're not getting your deal. You're not getting your end of it. Then now you're on the pathway to divorce. And so in a society filled with takers, of course you're going to have a high divorce rate. Of course. That's exactly why we have a high divorce rate. Because we call it love, but what we really mean is, what do I get out of it? That's what we mean. It's really sad. But let me throw this out at you. A couple gets married. At first, they're really, really happy because they're really feeding each other selfishness. (laughs) That's really what's happening early on in a marriage. Okay? It's like, you're selfish, and I'll give you the things that you like in your selfishness. And you give me the things I like myself. And then... They're both selfish, and then they get tired of like, giving to the other person, and then the marriage starts to decline. But then they have kids. The couple has kids. And then what do you do for your child? You always have to give and give and give. It's like you're just constantly contributing, contributing, contributing into the life of your child. And what do they give back to you? Their poop. They give you their poop, their pee, and they, and they cry in the middle of the night, and their, their whininess and their neediness. That's what they give to us. So it's, it, when you really think about it from an economic point of view, it's a bad deal, isn't it? It's a really bad deal. And yet it's funny. As you keep giving and giving and giving, you'll love that child more and more and more. Um, it's a, there's a funny dynamic. Um, the kids go, Mommy, Daddy, can we please get a puppy? Can we please get a puppy? I need a puppy, puppy. And they, they, they just hound you. And finally, Mom and Dad, like, give in and get this puppy. And then, of course, after about two weeks, the kids stop doing the work. You're doing the, you're doing the, you're walking the dog, and, you know, it's like it's cold at night. You're walking this dumb dog. You're like, oh, I don't even like you, right? <laughs> Stupid dog, right? But then, and then the kids grow up, and they walk away, and Mom and Dad are still walking the dog, feeding the dog, washing the dog. And then guess what? After a few years, they love the dog. <laughs> and the dog becomes, it starts to fill the heart. This is the way it works. But if you're a taker, 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 guess what? You'll never know this blessing. And then you'll get depressed in the middle of life, even if you have money. And if you're like this forever, you're in hell. And if your whole life you want to be a taker, and you end up in your own little hell, Guess what? You earned it. We earn it. Hmm? That was pretty mean. <laughs> one more piece of meanness. Okay? So one more. So I, as if, so I'm, I'm on a roll. I've got to like, make you feel like I'm going to stick it to you really good here, okay? Why do people have kids? Why do people have kids? Um, well, the Bible com- actually commands... At the very beginning in Genesis, God actually commands, be fruitful and multiply. God actually tells Adam and Eve, have kids. I want you to fill the earth. Have kids. You know what he's saying? 
I want there to be a lot of citizens. You know one of the most important contributions you can have into the city? Your kids. To give another person <laughs> into the city. <laughs> That's one of the biggest contributions you can give into human community. Another person. Is that what we're thinking when we have kids? I want to give another person to bless all the other people, and I want to give another person so that the glory of God can come from that person and bless all the other people. Is that what we're thinking when we have kids? No. Most parents are like, oh, I want a cute little Johnny for me. <laughs> and cute, so a cute little Johnny will grow up and throw a 95-mile-per-hour baseball, and he'll be a stud, the stud I always wanted to be. It's something for me. Or I want to have a, a, I want to have a beautiful, sweet little Mary, and it makes me feel good about me. <laughs> we have kids for ourselves. Even our kids, we take for our kids, our kids are about me. That's what we do. And it's completely normal. Almost every couple I know, this is why they had kids. Not to contribute to the city. And yet, our deep purpose was to contribute to the blessing of others. Okay? Um, okay, now that I've told you First, we're all takers. Now we are spewing curse into the whole world. <laughs> and we deserve the hell that we're building, building because we're all takers. We're building a life of being a taker. And we can't even stop it. So I tell myself, stop it, Susan, stop it. Like, you have the right theology. You're a pastor. You know the right thing. Other people don't even know this, but at least you know it, so stop it. I can't stop it because my heart is a taker's heart. So now we need help. And I'm going to close by um, telling you a couple little stories to try to you know, entice you to live the life and chase the life of contributing in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to take you to the gospel and tell you about how redemption comes from a giving God. Right? So let me tell you a couple things. This past week, I had a very intense week. So I wasn't here last week, as many of you know. I was in Toronto, in um, Ontario. It's, Canadians are weird. They're different, okay? It looks the same externally, but they're not, okay? They're different. But, um, uh, but I went to a wedding, and the wedding was of our brother. He's, a, he's, one, of, he's, he's one of our church folks. Um, his name is Roman. And um, Roman grew up in Canada. Roman is, Roman's father's Russian. And his mother is an ethnic Korean who grew up, I think, in Uzbekistan, right? And so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Roman speaks fluent Ru Russian at home. <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't know when he comes to church, okay? And he speaks no Korean, apparently. <laughs> uh, but, um, but he likes Korean food, all right? And um, he was marrying his sweetheart, um, a, a, a really sweet young Chinese Christian girl named Angela, who, who's, who lives in Toronto. And let me tell you something about this wedding. Um, it is one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever been to. And I've been to lots of weddings. I've gone sometimes as a guest, sometimes I've, I'm the pastor officiating the wedding. And this wedding is up there among the best weddings I've ever been to. And it wasn't because they had the most fancy food or because the venue was so great. All the stuff that people care about. Oh, I want the fancy venue. I want the best, this, blah, blah, blah. All right. That's not what made this wedding so great. I've rarely been to a wedding where almost every person I met came to contribute <laughs> their love, their joy. It was incredible. It felt like this, like 
150 people who really was like this really loving family, but some of them were Russian and <laughs> Chinese and Korean. I mean, it was, it was a really odd mix of people from all over the place. And yet everybody came. There, 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 was, a, there was a woman who sang a special song. She's a, she's a childhood friend of the bride. And she has a lovely voice. And I've been to many, many weddings where somebody gets up and has a lovely voice and sings. And I just go, okay, that was nice. Right? You know, you could have, play the CD. It's, it's almost as good as that. She doesn't sing as well as some other women that I've heard sing at a wedding. But most of the time when you hear a person sing, they're just singing because they have a nice voice. <laughs> and you, you're not sure if they really, really love the couple or not. But when this girl sang, I'm not quite sure what it was in her that you could feel love come out of her. She came to sing praises to God, and she wanted to bless everybody. You could feel that offer. It was amazing. I'll give you, we went to the, and when I talk about the wedding, I'm not just talking about the service, um, at the reception. So I told you Roman's father is Russian. So the person that they got to cater the reception was an old dear friend of, uh, and co-worker of Roman's father. She's a Russian woman. Very smart and talented in the corporate world, but she didn't want to do that anymore. She said, that's boring. I want to do the thing I really love to do. In other words, her real glory and honor contribution, which is cooking. <laughs> so she started a catering business. And according to, so I know this because Roman's father was telling us while we are eating this meal, I, I sat at the same table with him. It was a five-course meal. This woman came up with this meal. You cannot go get this meal anywhere else. You can't just go to, because she made this meal specifically for her friend's son, her friend whom she loves. So this, according to my, um, Roman's father, this woman is so gifted in cooking, so she, of course, cooks really good Russian food. But then she knows somebody's Korean, and will go to the person who, speaks, and, who cooks really Korean, and she'll learn to cook Korean like the way a Korean, really good cook cooks Korean. Then she has a Chinese friend. She learns to cook Chinese the way a Chinese person cooks Korean. I mean Chinese, okay? So this is the way this lady cooks. And, I, and when Roman's father said this to me, I was thinking, like, that's a pretty crazy boast. But then when I ate the food, I believed it. Because you know what this lady did? She took this food, and she formed a five-course meal, and she took fusion elements of Chinese and Korean and Russian, and she brought it together into these special dishes. I was telling Grace, I'm like, I, I, I don't want this meal to end. <laughs> because not only was the food exquisite, but when we ate it, we ate care and love. Incredible, right? It was incredible. And the whole spirit of the event was like that. It was really, quite frankly, a little taste of this kind of heavenly community. And I'll give you one more example before I close out my message. Um, the last three days, well, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was really intense, three days. Um, I went out to the, the reservation, the Paiute Reservation next to Bishop, where we like to go every year. For those of you who have ever gone, it's a place filled with poverty. And um, there'll be like a decent house, and then the next house will be a rundown, like, like mobile home type place. <laughs> and then you'll see these kind of mangy dogs <laughs> roaming around. That's kind of what the place is like. And there's a lot of uh, alcohol abuse and drug abuse. And there's a lot of death on the reservation. Uh, young people die of overdose regularly there. And 
the first few years we went out there, we would try, I would try to meet people and ask Native Americans, um, we'd like to contribute into your life <laughs> and bless you. You know, we're here to try to revive the church over there down the street. And a lot of, uh, I got a lot of essentially like, like a stiff arm. Um, and some people were receptive, but a lot of people weren't. But I'm not sure exactly what has happened as we have, we've gone there for five years in a row and our persistence, I think, is starting to pay off. And well, before we went out to Bishop, so it was four of us. It was me, and it was, uh, it was Peter's father, um, Peter Elder Yoon. It was uh, Deacon C.S. Kong who leads the, the, the uh, mission efforts. And the fourth member was Damon Moon, the, the fellow who was interviewing me there. The four of us went out there. And we only had like, about four or five appointments over a day and a half, or you know, two nights. And we figured... Well, I was sitting there going like, Lord, you need to open up some doors for us because if we're only going to have these four appointments, <laughs> it could be a lot of dead time <laughs> in between and it might be kind of like, we'll feel sad, right? First night we went and we prayed with our friends at the, at the Presbyterian church that we, that we try to support. And then we started asking, hey, who, who we, we want to try this? They were so receptive to us. And we all sat and brainstormed new ideas and they... They mentioned people that we can connect with. We had no appointment. So next morning, we followed their advice. We went straight into the tribal, tribal uh, council office. These people don't believe in Jesus. They don't know us, but some of them have heard of us because we've gone out there often enough. And one of the guys that we tried to meet was a guy who is the tribal, um, tribal uh, administrator. That means he's sort of the COO. <laughs> he's like the chief operating officer. He runs... The whole reservation, he runs, there's all these different um, um, groups and departments, and he runs all those departments. And we didn't have an appointment with him, but we asked to see him, and he, and he said, uh, you know, we had to wait about 30 minutes. He goes, but without an appointment, he came to see us. And as we told him about how we want to, you know, revive the church and see the blessing of, of, of uh, and then the young people grow up and not die of overdose and all this stuff, he just embraced us. And he started telling us about how he used to go to that church when he was a boy, when the church was thriving, which it isn't now. He said in his first marriage, apparently he's been divorced, in his first marriage, he actually got married in that church. <laughs> and he started embracing us. Well, what we thought was going to be a 20-minute conversation, because he's a busy guy. I mean, think about it. The guy runs the reservation. He didn't give us 20 minutes. He gave us an hour and a half. We had to sort of like peel us out of, it, out of there to get to our next appointment because he started telling us stories about the reservation and he started opening up different groups. He started educating us about different ways that we can go in because he wants us to contribute. And one appointment after the other, after the other, it was all like this. So it just, it was back to back to back. It was nonstop through Thursday, and then it was not, and then, then a couple of people had to change their appointments, and then we, only, we thought we only had two appointments on Friday morning, but then we ended up with five. <laughs> and so it went nonstop. Damon Moon had to get up at 7 a.m. and talk to the kid who got up at 5.30. <laughs> so Damon was tired. By the time we left the place at like, you know, 1 o'clock, he was get, already getting exhausted. And here's what we said. So we were astounded at the way we were received. Because they trust us in our heart to contribute. And then we would get together with every single person and we would, you know, our heads would get together and there was no ego. Without ego, without anger, just figuring out how we were going to contribute. 
to the life of this reservation. And it was tiring. <laughs> At the end of Friday, when we drove into, the, into our church on Friday night, you know, after, after six hours of driving, Damon said, he looked at me and he said, I'm exhausted. <laughs> he said, he had this face of like, oh, I'm exhausted. His, you could tell from his face he was just spent. But he was glowing. <laughs> he goes, I'm so, because this was so fun. <laughs> this was so fun. I think if Damon could have exhausting days like this every day, he would. Um, I was so tired that Saturday morning I was still exhausted. <laughs> but you know what? Saturday morning I was still happy. This is what we were made for. Let me close with a picture of our God. The gospel points and reveals a great and wonderful God. That God is constantly a giving God. You know that? What does he take from us? What does he take from us? What does he take from you and me? He takes our sin. <laughs> He's like our baby. We get the crap and the pee and the whiny and the bad. <laughs> our father takes our sin from us. And he always pours out himself to us. And this, isn't, this is the way God has been since eternity. The father is the ultimate authority in all of creation. <laughs> but the Bible says that he pours out all his glory upon the son... And then it says the Father didn't say that his name, the name of the Father, would be lifted to the highest place. Actually, it is the Father's will that Jesus' name would be the name above all names. So he confers and he pours and he contributes. He gives, gives, gives to the Son. And then the Son came so that he could pour out his Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit isn't interested in his own place. The Holy Spirit has always wanted to exalt Jesus. The Spirit always wants to contribute to us. Because the Spirit grieves when we sin, but the Spirit is always patient to give to us. And Jesus, of course, that Jesus is the ultimate. The Gospel says that Jesus came to give what we most desperately need. So we were poor and we were sinful and we scratch Him and we sin against Him and we are, we are adulterous against Him. And yet Jesus said, I will literally contribute my blood and you can give me your sin. So uh, all my contribution can be upon you and then you can have this city. And through this, all the nations can be healed and you can be forever and ever healed and happy. This is the gospel. This is Jesus came so we'd be contributors like him. We were made to be in the image of God. If you're going to image this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you empty yourself. <laughs> and we're all afraid to do that. We're like, if I empty myself, then won't I just get burnt out? Let me tell you something about this. I never heard Jesus go, well, you know, I, I just gave and gave and gave to you, and now I'm burnt out. Sorry. You know why we get burnt out? Because in our heart, deeply, we're takers. We give to you, and we give to you. Oh, wait a second, you didn't give anything back. Now I don't want to give to you anymore. I'm burnt out. You know what that means? Deep down, you're still just a taker. But if we actually can be made the way Jesus intended us to make us, and which he paid the price to make us, 
You know, just Jesus gives and he gives and he gives to bless us. And then what happens is the glory of God starts to shine in what he contributes into our life. And when he sees that blessing happen in us and the glory starts to shine out of us and our healing, you know what happens? That glory goes into Jesus. The healing goes into Jesus. And it gives him great joy and satisfaction. And he is made full. This is how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit constantly give to each other. But the glory gets passed to each other. And they are always, their cup is always overflowing. And if we will learn how to contribute this way, as we go and not just be fixated on what do I get out of it, what do I get out of it? Instead, the reason Damon was glowing was he spent an exhausting day contributing, contributing, contributing. But when he saw what it did to people, when he, when he could just even see and, and imagine what glory and healing could actually happen here in the midst of all this destruction, just that just gave him that, that hope. That picture was so beautiful and so compelling to him, it filled his heart. And at the end of the day, he can see us. We're, we're like, we're actually going there. He, he said, this was so fun. See? His heart overflowed. Damon's not Mr. Holy Man. It's just an average Joe Christian who's chasing the highest things. He's going to contribute. So, brothers and sisters, um, ask today to put down the spirit of take and ask Jesus to give him, that he would give us of his spirit to, to contribute and to bless and to give. And thus we would become full and whole as he is full and whole. Let's pray.